grab your Bibles or any device in which you have a Bible app on, hold it up high and repeat after me. This is my Bible, the word of God. And inside, God tells me the plans he has for my life. He tells me how much he loves me, even when this world tells me that I am not lovable. And I shall be all that God desires for me to be because his Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. This I proclaim in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn your attention to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 46 through 54. Once again, that's the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, second time, or um, may maybe you've been here for years, but uh, you have not yet made uh, Annistown Road Church your home, uh, or you have questions, we would love to have you be our guest immediately following this service uh, right downstairs. So uh, we have lunch prepared for you. We will not take up more than an hour of your time, but we would love to have the opportunity to get to know you immediately following this service. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, Beginning in verse 46 through 54, I was going to read just a portion of it, but I'm going to read all of it and, um, and, 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 and here's why. Sometimes I, I, as I grow concerned that we may not study or read throughout the week. And, uh, and, for some, and sometimes it, you may feel safer opening up that word in the confines of other people, but I hope you feel comfortable when you leave here to open it on your own. Uh, but I don't want Sunday morning to be the first time you open up your Bible during the week. Uh, John chapter four, verse 46, it says, beginning at verse 46, it says, therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water into wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and began asking him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son is alive. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went home. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was alive. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son is alive. And he himself believed and his entire household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come from Judea into Galilee. 
And what we're going to talk about just for a little while is the journey of faith, the journey of faith. And here we're going to see three transformative stages. But this is a journey of faith. And this nobleman or this royal officer that we will get to see his encounter and his experience with the Lord, it should not be foreign to us because every and each person in this room is on a journey. For some of us, our journey has taken us and led us to the cross. And we've gotten to that cross and we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. Some of us own many paths, but we have not yet come to accept Jesus Christ. We're still on a wandering journey. And then some of us who have come to the cross and accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we do not live like he is our Lord. We're all on a journey. We all are in a point of progressing and changing and being transformed and the Lord allows various stages to take place in our lives. Some of these stages, in fact, we seem to originate from ourselves, but God utilizes those stages in order to bring us closer to him. And God can use a variety of people and things in order to bring us to a place, to a point of belief and to a place and point of greater belief in which we had the day before. Our belief grows, our faith grows. And so I would like for us to look at this particular passage, see what we can extract from it. As always, I encourage you to jot down notes, uh, write down things that not only you may have heard for the first time or maybe the second time or the third time, but also jot down things uh, specifically that the Lord says to you, jot those things down in your journal, keep note of them and go back to look at them and pray through them during the week. So you have this nobleman, as we just read. And as we look at verses uh, 46 through 47, we, we figure out a lot of things. We figure out that this is a crisis that is taking place in this nobleman's life. In fact, when you look at the passage where it says he came again to Cana of Galilee where he made the water into wine, this is Jesus coming back to the place where he has grown up. He's around kinfolks. He's around people who not only know him, they know his parents, they know his siblings. They know what his father does for a trade. They are somewhat familiar with each other. And Jesus is, has returned from uh, Jerusalem where they had had the Passover. And many of these people had attended also. And so Jesus, he comes to Cana of Galilee. And I like how the point was made. This is the place where the water was turned into wine, establishing the first sign. And there are seven signs throughout the book of John. And these signs are designed in order to point 
people to the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And there are seven signs. And now what we are about to explore is this second sign uh, that uh, immediately follows uh, this first sign of the water turning into wine. And notice, though, how the text says there's this royal official. His son is sick, and his son is sick, and his son is located in Capernaum. Well, there's a lot to be said here now. This royal officer in your text, or you may have a royal officer, it may say nobleman. He's a man of authority. When he gives orders, people obey. He's accustomed to not only getting orders, he's also accustomed to giving orders, but his words matter. When he says, do this, they do that. When he says, come, they come. When he says, go, they go. He is an officer like the centurion is in Matthew chapter 8 and also noted in Luke chapter 7. And he stated that I have authority. When I speak, they move. When I say jump, they jump. They do not ask how high until they have first jumped. They only ask, where do I stop once I jump? I'm a man of authority. This was a man of authority. This man of authority, he has a crisis. This crisis puts him in a pickle. See, sometimes when we have a crisis in our life, you have quickly discovered no matter how much you may uh, pursue after material items, but you may come to a point in your life where you realize that your wardrobe or your massive wardrobe in your closet is not enough. Sometimes you may realize you may have one, two, three, four, five cars, but sometimes you'll get to a point where the car ain't the issue. Sometimes you get to a point, you say, well, I got plenty of money in the bank. I can live two or three lifetimes, but sometimes money won't fix it. There's going to be times where you know someone, you may have experienced a, a, a word from the doctor where you discover that all of the things that you have done to maintain or to have a good health, you ate apples every day to keep the doctor away. You did all of these good things. You ate your vegetables, you ate your fruit, you cut back on all of the things that you're not supposed to have. You exercise, you do all of these things, but yet you find yourself at the doctor's office or you know someone who found themselves at the doctor's office and the doctor say, we have a problem and we do not have medication for it. We do not have surgery for it. And you may say, well, I ate right, I exercised right, and I also rested like I was supposed to. How? Could I be in this position? And you could visit various doctors and go back and forth. But sometimes what happens after you go to all of these doctors and the doors are shut because no one has an answer, it forces a person to turn to the person who actually created them. They have to talk to the manufacturer. That's the reality that this nobleman has found himself in. He has a crisis. He is a man of authority. And as I said, when he speaks, people listen. But unfortunately, the people who are listening, they can do nothing for him. So he has a solution. 
He has a reasonable solution. He has a great solution. His solution is I must come and speak to Jesus. And so this royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea, Jesus had left Jerusalem, the Passover, he's coming, he's back into Galilee. The man, he leaves, this royal official, he leaves Capernaum, which is a little bit above 20 miles away, and he comes to where Jesus is. But he's not alone. The man is not alone. In fact, there's other people who have been down in Jerusalem also, and they have witnessed some of the things that Jesus has done down in Jerusalem. And they have this huge crowd. Well, this man, though, he's different from the others in the crowd. See, this man has a real issue. This man has an issue that really needs some great relief and whatnot. And he didn't just want to wonder. He didn't want just to say he needed some help. He got a crisis going on. And so he comes to Jesus and he has a request. He went to Jesus and he began asking him to come down and heal his son for his son was at the point of death. This man, uh, evidently, he understood what the Psalms number 50, 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall answer if you call upon me. Well, Jesus is going to speak a word to him in just a moment. I just want you to see that the man has come to Jesus and he's pleading with him. In fact, when you go back and you look at the original Greek words of when he asked Jesus and he pleased with Jesus, it's not just a one word statement. It's an ongoing word statement. In other words, he was continually pleading and begging for Jesus to come down. Because this royal official, notice I keep saying royal official, this nobleman has a problem. Now, if you don't mind, uh, would you say royal officer? Nobleman. In a moment, in just a little while, you're going to scratch through that, okay? But just remember, royal officer, nobleman, okay? You're going to scratch through it in just, just, just a few minutes. Well, he comes to Jesus. He's asking for help. Uh, he, he, he's included in this crowd of people who are seeking a, a, a miracle, but once again, his need is serious. It's urgent. And that's why he began to plead with Jesus and he's doing it repetitively. And if you listen uh, to the Greek word uh, that's behind this, you will notice that it's not only imperfect ongoing, but it's also, uh, it's, it's imperative, not imperative in the sense that he's giving Jesus a command, but imperative in the sense that it's urgent. We don't have time to delay. Like we need this now, Jesus, please do it now, now, not Jesus, will you do it? Jesus, will you do it now? It's a sense of urgency because his son is at the point of death. This royal officer, this nobleman, he has a crisis on his hand. Have you ever found yourself in a crisis? Some of us in this room are dealing with a crisis right now. I don't know your crisis. And I want you to know you're not immune. I've, I've had my own crisis. 
Some of our crisis is not crisis that may be uh, you're not directly standing on, but it's, it's more of a, for some of us. We have strains with a, a, a nephew or a niece or a grandchild or a child. Some people in this room are worried highly, greatly about a child. It, it may be a child. It may be their marriage that you're concerned about. It may be an addiction that your child or your grandchild has. It may be the fact that you've been pleading and begging for them to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Some in this room are filled with the crisis from a financial matter. They're just wondering when it's gonna change. And some of us are dealing with the crisis that you feel alone when in reality you're not alone. But everyone in this room has experienced or is experiencing and will experience a crisis. All of us have to deal with it. No one in this room is immune to it. But the Lord knows how to utilize a crisis to move us. For some of us would not move unless there was a crisis. Some of us have seat warmers and uh, I mean uh, heat warmers in your in your car. And if you turn the heat on, it feels good for a while when it's cold. But if you leave it on too long, you start wiggling. I had a friend, he had a car and this uh, heat button, it got stuck in the hot, high. Oh, I had a, listen, I had a good time when I was riding with him because my side was cool. And he was moving, dead, and he's just moving back and forth. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he said, he said, touch the back of my seat. And it was so hot. He said, I've been dealing with this for like the last two weeks and they can't, they, they can't get the uh, part to fix it and whatnot. Well, sometimes God allows something like that to take place in our life, that little button to stay on and it keeps us moving and it keeps us moving. And guess what? I guarantee you, as soon as the first availability opened up for my friend to take that car in, he took it. Some of us will not come to surrender to Jesus Christ, either in relationship or in fellowship with him, if he was to turn the heat button off. And that's why the heat button stays on up under some of our behinds. But I digest. Listen, I'm just, I'm gonna move, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm gonna move on back to my point. Uh, 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 listen, let, let's go back to, let's go to point two. Okay, so point one, there was a crisis going on, okay? The crisis is going to lead to point two. Point two is this. Jesus said to him, the man is asking for Jesus to come. Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And the royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, I want to just stop there for a moment. It sounds like on the surface, uh, Jesus is uh, being cruel, being mean in verse 48. That's what it sounds like, right? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Now, remember, who is talking to Jesus? The royal, the nobleman, the royal official, officer nobleman. That's who's talking to Jesus. When Jesus responds to him, Jesus is not talking to the royal officer of the nobleman. Jesus is talking to the royal officer slash nobleman and the people with him, the crowd. 
If in fact you go back and you look at the word you there, it's actually a plural twice. It's a plural twice. And it's almost like if, uh, if, if speaking in the South could be really a true language, it would be like if y'all people, y'all, y'all, it's not singular, it's plural here. He's talking to this crowd that is seeking a miracle. The crowd is looking for a genie. They're looking for a vending machine. They're looking for a $5 special to a buffet. This is what they are looking for. This crowd, though, don't be so harsh on them. Because this crowd, some of us would be in this crowd. We want a genie. We want to, listen, and we don't even want to rub the bottle. We just want a genie. We want a vending machine. And we want the buffet. We want all of the options, but anything that he has decided for us to have. This crowd Jesus is speaking to. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Many of us want a sign, a miracle, or a wonder to happen. And a wonder has to do with something that takes place that is so strange and that is so captivating that one must watch it. That's what a wonder is. They want the wonder, they want the sign, they want the miracle in order that they may believe. But that is not how it works in Jesus' economy, which brings us to this key point right here. The key point here is that God will test our faith in order to not only test it, but to strengthen it. It's the testing and the strengthening of our faith. It's another stage. And so God doesn't perform a sign or wonder or just to get us to believe. See, many of us, we have this notion that if you show me, I'll believe. Because we live in a society based upon our humanism and uh, every fiber of of our being saying seeing is believing. That's what we walk away with. Seeing is believing. But God says, no, believing is seeing. But we say seeing is believing. God, if you show me, then I'll come. Then I'll follow you. But God says, come and follow me and then I'll show you. Come, follow me, and I'll give you evidence. But our humanism says, give me evidence first and then I'll come and follow. That is what we do. And that is not faith. If he has to show you the evidence first before you come and follow, that is not faith. What that is is a reaction to God's work. That's just a reaction. If that's the case, any of us could convince the other person to do something. He said, no, you must come to me in faith and I'll show you. And it's amazing how... This has plagued man from the very beginning. Imagine now the the children of Israel, they wandered, wandered in the desert for 40 years. And many of them still did not believe. They still struggled not only then to believe, but many of them 
I would even, I, I, I won't say most because I don't know most, but I can say many, still do not believe or struggle today. And they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And how can you wander in the desert for 40 years and still say, I, I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe. If you just show me a sign, if you show me a miracle, you show me a wonder. When every single day that they woke up during those 40 years, there was a pillar of cloud that actually guided them. At nighttime, there was a pillar of fire that guided them. And they still didn't believe. Every morning that they woke up on the ground, they had cornflakes, manna, to pick up. All the cornflakes they wanted to eat, and still they couldn't believe. When they said, you know what, I'm tired of these cornflakes. I'm tired of these Kellogg's. I want some meat. God says, you know what, I'll provide the meat too. So he provided meat for them every single time. Met their needs, and still they don't believe. And we say, show me a sign, show me wonders, and I'll believe. And even when Moses went up on the mountain to talk, dealing with the Ten Commandments, God spoke, and the people, they heard it down below. Some of the people, they heard Moses talking uh, uh, to, to the Lord. It scared them so bad, they were shaking in their boots, that they said to Moses, next time you go up there, ask God not to talk like that, because it, it, it scares us. Tell him just to talk to you. They had a sign and a wonder, and they still didn't believe. Jesus turned the water into wine, so forth and on and on. And Jesus says, you will not believe unless you see a sign and wonder. But remember, that is not faith. And when you come to Jesus in faith, he will give you evidence. He will give you greater proof. And as he gives you the evidence and proof, guess what? It strengthens your faith and you just keep walking with him. Now, let me warn you, when you go to him, in faith, it doesn't mean I went to the genie, I asked for a thousand dollars, but he only gave me 10. He must not be who he claims to be. No, he's not a genie, he's the Lord. And so what you, when you ask for the thousand dollars, the Lord said all you need is ten dollars. Some of you, if you got what you wanted, you would actually X him out. Some of us come to the buffet table and God says, you say, I want every single thing on this table. And God says, all you get on that table is the cauliflower and the broccoli. Well, that is not what I want. And then we get upset and say, well, if I can't have all these items that's on this table, he must not be God because he only has limited me to the cauliflower and the broccoli. Do you know he's giving you what you need? And some of us mad because you don't eat steak every night. God says, I gave you a chicken wing last night. Now eat it, shut up and go on about your business. Listen, God is a good God and he meets the needs. We look for signs and wonders, and we also try to treat God like a vending machine. And what I mean by that is, God, if I do this, you must do this for me. If I put this in, I expect this out. Listen, I, 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 I put money in the machine the other day for my aunt, and the, the drink machine, the, 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 the soda she wanted to come out, it, it didn't come out, so I put some more change in, and then I, I finally came out, and then I put some money in the other machine for her. She wanted some chips, and the chips didn't come out. And I did the machine 
like this. And when I shook it, two bags of chips fell out. And my aunt said, praise the Lord. <laughs> listen, I believe with all my heart. God, listen, some of, she might be saying God wanted me to have two bags of chips. In my heart of hearts, I didn't believe God wanted her to have any bag of chips. But I gave it to her because she's my aunt. She got the one. Listen, God gives you and I what we need. Sometimes we get upset because we do not get what we want, but we got exactly what God wanted us to have. And God gives us what we need. And it is supposed to strengthen our faith. It is supposed to draw us closer to him. I want you to notice, though, what happens with this, 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 this royal fish. This is a royal what? And it says the royal official said to him a second time, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go. Now, now, now I want you to notice twice the royal officer has said, come. Jesus says, go. And Jesus says, your son is alive. Go, go where? Go back to Capernaum. Your son is alive. There was not a long meeting, and nor did the royal officer, you're going to see in just a moment, the, 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 what the royal officer, no, you, you notice in here what he does, but I want you to, I, I'm going to pick back up in just a second and tell you what he did not do. Uh, he tells him to go, your son is alive. The man believed. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went home. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went home as it is as if the man understood where it says in James chapter one, verse three through four, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The man went home. In fact, even when you and I are going through trials, the Bible tells us to even count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's in uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. In James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. First Peter chapter one, verse six says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, uh, a number of trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your and my faith is being tested. And also, First Peter says this in chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Uh, sometimes I read that verse and it makes me laugh because it says it always starts off the same way. Beloved, do not be surprised, but man, we sure do act surprised when something comes our way. And the Bible tells us don't be surprised, not only when a trial comes your way, but when a variety 
of trials. Variety has to do with not only the size of the trial, but also the frequency of the trial. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you got two big trials at the same time. And don't be surprised if you got 33 small trials. And don't be surprised if all your trials add up to only 99. But as you turn your head, here comes another one to make it an even 100. He says, don't be surprised. Well, this man seems to get it. He believes. He turns around and he goes back home to Capernaum. And once again, I tell you another scripture. It's as if he understands. Romans 10 verse 11. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The man turns around. He heads home. He goes. Jesus said, go. The man understood this go. Why does the man understand the word go? Jesus says, go, your son is alive. Well, once again, this is a man who is under authority. He's used to giving commands. He's also used to getting commands. And so now he gets a command to go. We saw what the man did. Let me tell you what the man did not do. The man didn't stop. Well, Jesus, could you explain to me? Now, you say he's alive. Now, tell, tell me how you're going to do it. Jesus, let me ask you this. You said go. Now, when I get there, what should I do? Jesus, let me ask you something. Can we talk further along? No, the man actually immediately, he obeys. He immediately surrenders to the command of Jesus. And the man, he heads home. The man, he came seeking he had a plan. He left Capernaum with the plan. He left over 20 miles to come to Cana of Galilee with the plan. His plan included presenting his case to Jesus. His plan also included bringing Jesus back with him so that him, his presence would be there so that his son would be healed. Well, the plan didn't go according to the man's plan. When he got there, Jesus, after hearing him, tells him to go. This is where some of us get stuck. We come to God in faith. God gives us an answer. The answer is not part of the plan that we had. For instance, remember I was talking about, God, my financial crisis. God, I told you what I needed. I told you I needed more money. And God gives you a command. God's command may be, I know a gentleman did this, what I want you to do is let go some of those subscriptions that you have on your television. <laughs> now you have Hulu, you have Netflix, you have, listen, you have all, you got like nine or ten subscriptions. And you pay for all of them. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut five of them. And we walk away. Well, that's not what I asked for. I asked for more money. And God says, I told you to cut the subscription, cut the expenses. Or you come and say, God, I asked for more money. And God says, I told you to stop eating out as frequently as you do. I told you. 
sometimes the plan that we have is not lined up with God's plan. And then some of us have issues on personal level. God, I told you that I needed to talk to my relative or this person at work. We've been having issues and whatnot. And I've been looking for the opportunity to say what I have to say and, and, and share these things with them. And God says, yep, but I told you how to say it. And you went to that person with truth, but you show no love in your truth. And my word says, give love with truth and truth with love. And you gave all truth. You have your plan and God has his plan. And let me just tell you, in case you don't know, his plan is always correct. His plan is always correct. So this royal officer comes to Jesus. He has a plan and Jesus changes the plan. Jesus says, I'm not going back with you. He didn't say it in words, but he said, go. Your son is alive. The man he believes and so the man did not walk away with the presence that he wanted. Guess what the man walked away with? He walked away with the promise. I don't know about you, but that's, he walked away with the promise from Jesus. He walked away with the check from Jesus. Jesus says, listen, here's the promise. Go, your son is made alive and the man Knowing that he's a man under authority, he turns around and he goes back to Capernaum. This man understands something. Seeing is not believing. Seeing is just seeing. But if I believe, then guess what? He's going to lead me to see. And so this man, he, he leaves, he goes back to Capernaum. He has pleaded with Jesus to come. Jesus says, go, your son is alive. And notice the word he uses, go, your son is alive. It conveys that idea of that the son has, he's not recovering, but your son has recovered. Now notice earlier I was saying it was ongoing, the pleading. But Jesus says, go, your son is alive. It's not a, Jesus says, it's not a process that's taken a place. The process has concluded. He, he is alive. Go back. Your son is alive. Now notice what the gentleman does now in verse 51. And what we see here is verses 51 through 54. What you see is uh, a, a, like a, the manifestation and the transformation of this man's faith. And this man has embraced uh, exactly what took place in Abraham in the Old Testament, Abraham was called upon to sacrifice his son Isaac. Isaac was his beloved son. Abraham had prayed for decades for uh, Isaac. Isaac was given to him, but also a promise was given to Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations and it was going to go through Isaac. And now God is calling upon Abraham to sacrifice his only son and Abraham is faithful to the Lord. He takes Isaac up on the mountain and he prepares to sacrifice Isaac. And just at the last second, a ram is provided in the place of Isaac. But many people say, how could Abraham do such a thing? And the answer is not given in the Old Testament. The answer is given in the book of Hebrew. And the Bible says that Abraham reckoned in his heart 
that God must be prepared to raise Isaac from the dead because God keeps his promise. He trusted God so much that he was willing to be faithful no matter what, but he also trusted God's word, God's promise. God, you said you would do this and you have provided me Isaac and I know that that nation these uh, is gonna happen. And so I, no matter what happens, I know it has to happen. So no matter what I do on this end, you keep your promise. And God kept his promise. This, this royal officer has seen to capture this. But here's something that I want you to notice as it switched. In verse 51, it says, And as he was going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was alive. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. I just want to note something. He asked, what time did his son began began to get better. Then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The, 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 the royal officers asking, when did the process of recovery start? But the slaves say that was not a process. They say at the seventh hour, the fever just left. I, I, listen, you, I, oh man, I tell you, if y'all can sit down now, I, I, get so, I get so excited when I'm reading the text. There was no process. He was healed at the seventh hour, but there's something unique about this seventh hour. He said, uh, uh, yes, they said yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And it says, so the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, the seventh hour is 1 p.m. in Jewish time. It was at 1 p.m. that the son was healed. There was no process. And that was the time that Jesus had spoken the word and said, go, your son is alive. I, but, but it's something else I got to point out to you. Now, say that royal officer again. Say, just say royal officer. Or nobleman. Now I want you to scratch through it because something happens when you get to verse 30, 53. Now does it say so the royal officer or the nobleman, the text says the father knew him. L listen, all the positions and all the accolades, all that stuff put, listen, all that stuff put to the side. I I'm just plain old dad right now. And listen, I'm just plain old dad and I have a personal problem, but now I have a, pro a, a personal reason to give God praise. And you put all those positions and all those titles. See, some of us walk through the doors and we, we, we come in and we, all my degrees are in front of me. All my certifications are in front of me. All of us, our, all our travels, uh, places we have been there in front of us, my connections and all these accolades we put in front of us. L listen, sometimes it's impossible to ask someone, what is your name? You ask them what their name is and you throw all of these titles at me. Dr. Reverend, Pastor, Bishop, Elder, man, what is your name? Your name, Tony. Your name is Tony. That's your name. I, listen, I know you. I knew you from Decatur. I don't need all of that. I, I asked you what your name is. What's on your birth certificate? I don't need your letters. I don't need all your alphabets and your act. We don't, this man became just a plain father. But a father who has great reason to give God praise and he recognized. 
It was at the moment that Jesus Christ said, my son, your son is alive, that his son was made whole. But there's something that happens really amazingly from this. Not only is your son, he, he remembered the statement, your son is alive, and he himself believed. And notice now the text said earlier that he believed, right? What's happening here is a, this is a different level of belief. See, the closer you get to the Lord, the closer you want to get to the Lord. And the closer you get to the Lord, the closer you want to get to the Lord. It, it doesn't make you want to run away. And here's the reality. The closer you get to the Lord, the more he shows you. The more you walk with him, the more he shows you. And that's why you keep walking with Jesus. When people give you bad news, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you're able to understand that you serve a good God. And when bad news comes to him, he says, I got you. I, I, I got you. I got you. When you're, listen, when you're a supervisor, if you've ever had a supervisor come to you and say, you know, we no longer have a place or space for you. Maybe they cut him back. Maybe it's because of uh, someone else's production is better than yours, but you're putting your best foot forward, but yet and still they're doing something. Maybe they downsize. Maybe no fault of your own. And you get all worked up and you try to say in your mind, what am I going to say to my wife? What am I going to say to my husband? You know, how are we going to how we're going to have food on our table? How are we going to get these bills paid? I just got all the bills in yesterday. I didn't have enough money yesterday. And now they're letting me go. What are we going to do? I can tell you this. God says, I have never, ever seen the righteous forsaken. That, that's not for me. That's God's word. God says, listen, he will not leave the righteous forsaken. You're going to be taken care of. Just remember, when he takes care of you, don't complain how he does it. Don't complain about it. You, you, you know, once again, going back to what I was saying earlier, don't complain about it. He will meet your needs. And if you show gratitude, if gratitude is a part of your attitude and it helps you with your attitude, now I'm rapping now. Uh, listen, but listen, if, if, if you let him, listen, if you let gratitude in and God says, if you're thankful with this and you keep walking with me, I'll give you more. I, just walk with me. Walk with me. I got you. I got you. But notice the man, he goes to another level. Listen, he believes. He believes further. One was, listen, you told, you gave me a word. I see that your word has come to pass. You wrote a check and guess what? It did not bounce. You wrote the check when we were back in Canaan. I've gotten to Capernaum and the check is cash. It's good. But not only did the man believe, his whole household believed. And I'm, I just want to point this out. This is the close of the, there are many people that will come to know Jesus Christ as their savior because of how you actually carry yourself. The way that you actually show your belief in Jesus Christ, there are going to be many people that come to surrender to Jesus Christ. But it's even greater than that. There are people in your home People may be in your workplace and people in this church that already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But did you know that many of them are going to grow further in their relationship, in their faith towards Jesus and towards what God calls them to do because of your faith? Oh, yeah. Listen, when you sit in a small group like tea time. When you're in a small group uh, uh, off campus, uh, we got small groups that I know meet at someone's home. If you have life groups, if you're in a life group and you hear other journeys of faith, 
it's going to strengthen each and every last person that's in that room. Oh, listen, it goes a long way, which means you need to be involved because some of us need encouragement. We keep saying, I just feel so uh, alone. I feel like I'm going through this on my own. Get yourself in a life group. Get yourself in a tea time. Get yourself involved. You'll find out that you're not not only not alone, but you'll also find out that many people are victorious and God has shown them more because they have been faithful. Get involved. I'll give you something else. I've asked some months ago. I said, hey, bring in some peanut butter. Remember I was saying bring in the peanut butter? I said, that's hungry people that need to be fed uh, peanut butter and jelly. And I said, hey, we support, we support uh, Southeast uh, Co-op. And there are many people that may not have food to eat. But you know what? Some of those people are praying and they don't even know this, that there's a church right here in Snailville, that God's calling upon. They bring in the pe- they brought in the peanut butter. They brought in the jelly. And guess what? God utilized you to actually help put food on someone's table. Maybe they wanted steak. But God says, you know what? I gave you what you needed. In fact, I'll encourage you to do this. We're gonna bring in more peanut butter. That's peanut butter needed now. Bring in more peanut butter. We're going to take it over to Southeast Co-op. And guess what? We're going to help feed people. That's what they need. That's what they ask for. And guess what? This church, we're going to, we're going to help provide. It. It's, listen, small, small, small things. I'll give you one more thing. Our children, that children's ministry is growing. We're going to give them a place and space for it. I don't know how all of it's going to fall in line. I just know God has told me it's going to happen. And since God told me it's going to happen, I'm going to be like the Capernaum, uh, the man who, uh, the, the, the royal officer. I'm just going to go. And uh, wherever you tell me to go, I hope you walk with me. And I know God will provide. That's what God does. But God also does it on those personal levels. Addictions, financial, health. I'm telling you, Trust God in your journey. God will take you to a different level every time. And do not use that humanism, uh, antidote, philosophy. God, if you give me evidence, then I'll come and follow. No, you come, you follow him now, and God will give you greater evidence. And as God continues to show himself to you, just tell other people about it so that they may see the goodness that God is doing in your life so that they too may come and follow awesome. Hey, church, let's be faithful in our church.